So hi, here's Florian with a new podcast today and I have a new guest. So introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Doreen and I'm the CEO and founder of Lemon Cat, an online marketplace for catering. Awesome. So uh, Doreen, tell us something about yourself. Like what's, what's your story? My story is quite long already. So um, my, I'm uh, 37 and I started my first company when I was 23. I come from a completely different background. I studied art history, literature, and media, so no uh, business background. And um, when I started um, looking for a place to study, I had to find, it, find myself a job. I started in sales and uh, accidentally landed in, a, um, in an internet company, in a startup back, back then, uh, based in Silicon Valley. So I was working here in Germany uh, in their sales department. And um, that was my first touch point with the startup scene and tech companies and so on. And then um, I was working for them for a couple of years. And uh, when I was 23, I decided together with a business partner to start my own company. Um, the name of the company was Yields. And we were basically a marketing and telesales outsourcing company for corporates. So, yeah, that company was had nothing to do with the startup scene then. So I was working for Blue Chips and they uh, running their sales departments. And then at some point we were around 80 people. We were working with, I would say, a handful of very good big corporations. And we met uh, two very cool, ambitious founders. Um, the founders of Ecomi. Ecomi was uh, back then just an idea. Today uh, it's one of the world's largest um, reviews and ratings company companies um, based in Berlin and they had this great idea but they had uh, not so much money not so much sales skills and experiences so we said okay look guys um, give us some equity in the company and we will uh, give you the money for the sales uh, yeah and for basically testing the product and so on this is what we did and then after a while we realized it was working very very well we could sell a lot of um, the implementations And um, at some point, we I sold my company to Ecomi. We merged both companies. We stopped um, working for external companies, uh, dedicated all the 80 salespeople to Ecomi only. And um, yeah, we made the company big in Europe, uh, brought on board an investor. Um, so it's still, as I said, very successful. Goldman Sachs invested a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, after a while, it was time for me to move on and time to take on uh, a new challenge. I was late 20s back then. And uh, through my network, I met a cool team and they said, okay, we, we're going to start something great here in Berlin. We want to do an, a platform for online pizza delivery. And uh, I was in the first moment, I thought, hmm, online pizza delivery, really would people order their pizza online? Um, but that was, yeah, the, the, the birthday basically of Lieferheld, of Delivery Hero. And uh, I was... Yeah, part of the of the initial team of the Delivery Hero team. We started in Germany and pretty quickly uh, launched. In yeah, when I left, we were in 20 different uh, 20 international markets with around about a thousand employees. And um, I did that for three years uh, initially as their CSO, Chief Sales Officer, and then a year later I became the COO. Uh, I was responsible for the whole operations, customer care, processes, international expansion, and all that kind of stuff. And then thereafter, I worked a little bit in financing or in, in, the, in the VC field and uh, in, especially in the U.S., invested in, in U.S. startups and scaled them and helped them to launch internationally. And then finally, I started Lemoncat. 
Cool. Awesome. So you had quite some different uh, stories, different uh, paths. So how is the decision process like? How does it come when you make the decision and then do action to change something? Well, I think I am a very creative person um, and I do a lot of decisions based on gut feel. And of course, these days I have my experiences. I, I saw quite some things and I know what's good for me and what is a good fit. But I think in, when I had my very first position and then came to the next and to the next, it was a lot of uh, opportunity-based decisions. So I saw something, I liked it, I, I was very passionate about it. And then I just had the feeling it, it just felt right. It was not that I had a, a pro and con list or something like that, doing it very structured. But it was really, uh, many times was based on gut feel. Yeah, cool. So it was from the beginning like that. You always went with your gut feeling. I think these days I have to be careful that I do not think too much. Okay. Because when I was early 20s and I started my first company and then the next and so on, it yeah, it was mainly based on gut feeling, based on what I what felt right and where I really liked the team and I wanted to spend time with the team and so on. I always had a like I think the team uh, was for me always one of the biggest uh decision points do I like the people can I get along with these people do I want to work day and night basically with that yeah. team and of course today I know a lot about financing a lot about investors like the whole startup ecosystem how it really works and then of course sometimes other things come also into the decision making process but still I try to remind myself stick to what worked in the past and do not change your processes too much Awesome. So do you have, how do you remind yourself uh, to, to stick to the, to the old learnings? Do you have a list of that or how, how do you handle that? <laughs> I have the list in my head. <laughs> no, I, like there is no real reminding process either, but I think um, I like to read a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also whatever you read again I studied uh, literature so I had to read all the important books in the world you know uh, especially uh, Goethe and Schiller and all these uh, Thomas Mann and so on and there's so many answers already in the books and then I don't know like at some point you just have a good feeling if that is the right thing for you to do and um, and that's why you, you just sometimes you think it through so much that you end up trusting your head more than your gut feel or more than your heart and but the first initial thought you had was probably the most accurate thought you had mm -hmm. and that's why I keep thinking also when I have a interviews for example yeah and I interview people for for lemon cat and I want to bring on board people and the feeling I had in the very first moment or in the first minute is usually the correct one and then I try to remind myself okay how did you feel about it in the very first moment with, before you started to find yeah. arguments in your head for yeah. or against this cool so uh, awesome but like you still listen to them you don't send them home immediately if if they come in and you have a bad feeling and they say sorry Uh, no, I don't send them home immediately, of course. But anyway, if I have a bad feeling about something, I also don't waste my yeah. time. So if I if I feel like yeah, that is not at all a good fit, why would I, you yeah. know, spend an hour? Then you can also say after 15 minutes, look, I think it's not really a good fit, and good then feeling. you save everybody everybody's time. Yeah, correct. Always important to protect your time. So you know quite a lot about the startup scene, and uh, startups should be innovative. 
But it, the word innovation is like really uh, difficult because everyone else, like everyone, understands something different about it. So, what is innovation for you? Oh, that's a very uh, interesting question. Um, of course, I I really like to describe my my own companies also as very innovative companies. I definitely saw a lot of innovation in the Silicon Valley area in yeah in the Bay Area when you go over to the US and talk to startups they are really trying to disrupt certain fields while here in Europe sometimes you have more the feeling people come more from that execution side of things and they want to scale things fast and they want to do it right from the process perspective but sometimes they're not so interested in building the best product At uh, Lemoncat, we are very much a product company, so not only from a staff perspective that really, um, yeah, almost not not quite 50%, but I would say like a bit more than 30, 40% is product and tech and designers. So we really try to understand the market and we really try to solve problems with tech. And I think that is important and that ha tells you something about innovation, but also to to challenge the status quo, keep asking questions, uh, don't accept that this is the way it is supposed to be only because it was like that the last 10, 20 years. I think this is what I um, think is innovation is and what I always try to do. I, like, I did that again, like I did that with my gut feel when I was, uh, I don't know, in my 20s and I started a company. I had absolutely no respect for, for old processes or whatever was there. I always tried to challenge what I saw and I thought, hey, I could do that better and that's why I do it differently. And um, I think that is a good approach, definitely, because innovation comes from change, maybe. Yeah, that's correct. Innovation is always change and the world changes all the time. And it even it changes rapidly more than like ever. Um, so at the moment, you, you're building a marketplace and a marketplace are out of my perspective, always the hardest thing to build because you need two sides, you know, like the one people which offer something and the one which, which buys something. So what you would say were the, your biggest learnings of or building a marketplace? Yeah, I think marketplaces are definitely challenging, but seriously, I would not say it's more challenging than building a good software as a service or okay. something like that. I think it always depends on how complicated or how complex is the industry you are in and so on. Um, yeah, of course, in a marketplace, you have to, you have two sides. We even take like also our supply side, the caterer side, very seriously so that we even build a software as a service for them. So that was our latest uh, big feature release end of last year. So, um, there, and, and also I wish there would be a recipe, you know, for the perfect marketplace and it would be easy going forward. The, the second marketplace for me, Delivery Hero Liefeld was the first one. Um, I think one important learning I've made and I also got as feedback from other founders as a cool marketplace founders is that you definitely must make sure that you uh, have the supply and demand growth right so in our case for example if we would have um, in Germany we have 14,000 caterers let's say we would bring them all on board and 
be super good at um, bringing on board the caterers, but on the other hand, we don't have demand, then the caterers would be on board and uh, it would not take too long, maybe a month, two or three, and then they would say, hmm, Lemon Cat is, uh, uh, is, is a strange partner, they brought me on board and now nothing is coming through them, yeah. you know, no requests, no orders and so on. So it's very important that you have... Uh, your strategy on how to scale and what is your launch plan. For example, we decided to go for a top-down approach. You go with the biggest cities first yeah. and you try to have a decent, decent coverage. What does decent coverage mean? How many um, caterers um, is that per inhabitants, for example, or per companies in that city? Do we need different caterers, different cuisine types like sushi, pizza, or... Um, yeah caterers who are delivering the international standard catering, all that kind of stuff. And then if you bring on board a new partner, make sure they're getting revenue from you or they're getting orders from you very fast because that creates a perfect experience for them that they have the feeling, oh, wow, Lemon Cat brought me on board and now I have already made my, I don't know, like X, XYZ orders with them and I did so much yeah. revenue with them. That gives them a very good feeling. And then they would also support you and they would, you know, do, deliver exactly the service you want them to deliver towards yeah. the customers. On the other side, it's also important, of course, to like in the end, ultimately, you are still a customer facing company, right? You want the customers to come back. You want them to reorder. So you also have to make sure that the caterers um, meet your standards. Yeah. So you should also communicate very clearly what do we expect from you, when to deliver, how, uh, how friendly, what to wear, you know, for example, in, in talk about leaf ahead or deliveroo these days. I mean, what do the drivers even wear, you know, yeah. it's like something uh, which uh, deliveroo gave to them, you know, it's like the, the, the jacket and all that kind of stuff and the backpack. So this is what you need to define for yourself when you start a marketplace, how to scale that, the demand and the supply at the same time. I think that is the most, probably the most challenging part. Yeah. So, and especially scaling is always difficult. So what I got out of you that like uh, most people, like you think of the most, especially American uh, companies, they try to scale as fast as possible and as hard as possible. But on the other on the other side, what you said, it's all it's it's like to have it simultaneously, like make it in a, both in the right speed. So it's probably mainly driven by the customer base, which which paces the scaling, or or do you try to pace the scaling from from the company itself, like from Lemon Cat? Well, uh, again, like you must really scale both things at the same time. And usually in marketplaces um, scenarios, it's like that. Maybe Lemon Cat is an exception because it's a B2B marketplace. Mm -hmm. We only work with business customers. But let's talk about Lieferheld. Um, it's a consumer marketplace. And um, we wanted to have TV readiness, right? Yeah. Because in Germany, you don't have this one big city like London and the UK or Paris and, and France. You have six seven bigger cities yeah. so if you want to um if you want to do tv ads there is no tv channel only for berlin or only for munich so you if you have tv spots out there you must have a good decent coverage throughout the country yeah. so the first challenge was be tv ready meaning be in have 80 percent coverage of germany 
So, of course, you must have a sales team bringing on board the restaurants pretty fast. But at the same time, again, the restaurants are waiting for your orders. You know, they yeah. are asking every day, when are my orders coming? When can I expect yeah. the first orders? So at the same time, you must start with marketing campaigns. So you must uh, scale your SEM. You must uh, do paid, paid campaigns, paid AdWords, uh, display or TV spots or whatever to um, attract the customer, make the customer come and order from your supply yeah. so it's really not one or the other or not one after the other it's both you know at the same time sounds really difficult <laughs> <laughs> cool so startups are always there to solve problems and like you have always problems in front of you and um, what would you say were your biggest challenges in the last three years and how did you solve them Well, I think maybe I cannot really um, say only in the last three years, but talking about all the companies I did in the past, there's probably two big challenges which stand out. And that is, on the one hand, making sure that you never run out of money and that you have a good deal flow and that you can bring on board good investors. That is, of course, key, especially, like, again, like every, oh, I would say, like, majority of the startups need money. They're not profitable yet, so they just need that external money to grow further and to accelerate growth. So that's a very important challenge for a founder, always to make sure that you have a good um, investor base and, uh, you know, that you're never running out of money. And the second biggest challenge is probably when you are, for whatever reason, when you need to downsize and you need to lay off people. I think that is most of the time really a very challenging uh, part from a personal side. Um, of course, there's these managers and these managers, but I try to always treat my people with a lot of respect. And I mean, I owe them something because they built my company with me, you know, together. And everyone, even if, if, a, if an employee was just here for half a year, year, whatever, they, they did their, their piece, you know, of the whole puzzle yeah. to make Lemon Cat great. And that's why I think whenever you have to have these kind of conversations, that is, of course, always a, a challenging thing, right? Do you have like some advice you could give to people which are stuck in a similar situations? I think be straight to the point and be honest. That helped for me most of the time. I think, I mean, there's there's different different things why you have difficult conversations with employees sometimes, right? That can be, um, on the one hand, uh, that the performance is just not right, um, and it is just not a good fit between the employee and the company at this point of time. And I keep thinking that there's, of course, for every employee, there's the perfect company, and of course, everyone has certain specialties or strengths so sometimes it's just not a good fit but usually I realize that if I then go into such a conversation that my my employee already realized as well that it was not going so well it's mm -hmm. a little bit like in a relationship you know it's very rarely happening that someone is like insanely in love and the mm -hmm. other person says look it's not working out usually both parties kind of realize that already that something is going on and I think then it's just fair to speak it out and like have a conversation about it because again the gut feel here <laughs> comes yeah. in again right um that uh, yeah people realize that and so being straight to the point being honest i think that was for me always the best how do you make the decision like normally it's 
like let's stick in a relationship thing like you're waiting that something gets better because it's a hard decision like it's a hard to it's a hard thing to go after this feeling say okay no stop so how do you how do you go about this conclusion like how when do you decide to take action very fast i think that's an important advice so you have to make those decisions very fast i think it's for no one a good thing to wait too long not for the company not for the uh, employee and um, i think in general i try to see myself here very much as the defender of the company i think that for me at some point it, it was very clear that i have to see it like that so i um, on a personal side, maybe I'm even friends with with my. Of course, I have a very good relationship with my teammates, right? And we go for coffee, we go for lunch, or whatever. So um, I like them personally. But anyway, I'm as the managing director or founder or whatever. I'm responsible for the survival of the whole company, and that means survival of the whole company equals 40 other people, or 100, or a thousand yeah. other people, right? So you just need to judge very objectively. Is it working out or not? And I think if you take um, all kinds of emotions out of it, it is a very straightforward and not insulting thing. And I think that's, for me, very important. Uh, try to make it a very objective decision. You know, is the performance there or not? Can Did we determine any specific goals KPIs is the person hitting the numbers or not it's, a, it's like it's not so complicated if you if you did it right from the hiring process on you know yeah. and then it's it's actually pretty pretty easy to see if that person is really an overperformer if the person is is okay and doing a good job or if the person is totally uh, far away from the from the goal he or she was supposed to deliver, and if that is so, then usually the person feels that, as I told you before, you know, the, the person realizes that already, like themselves, and then it's it's you owe them a conversation anyway. So that's why I think it's important not to make such an emotional thing out of it, but be respectful, yeah, and then uh, judge from the results. Yeah. So, how, how do you how do you set goals in your company for the employees? What's what's your what's your process for that? Of course, in positions like sales, for example, it's pretty easy. You know, you have really monthly goals and you have um, achievement plans and so on. You know how many how much revenue, how many um, orders or whatever they are supposed to bring in, and you have benchmarks. You know, I'm coming from a sales background, so goal setting was something I knew really right from being 19 years old. You know, I had a quota um, to achieve and uh, it was revenue and or orders or whatever. And then you got commission once you hit it or not. And of course, there was uh, benchmarks. So you could always say a salesperson comes and joins the company. And after, yeah, probably for me, uh, a good time frame is three months. Mm -hmm. You know if that person will ever hit the quota, quota or not. So the, um, you just know, okay, the best person in three months was here and where is in, like you just hired a new person, where is the new person, you know, and then yeah. you can judge yeah. um, and say it's pretty easy. Um, that's why I have been a fan of goals really since the beginning. So I try to have goals in all the departments. Um, in Lemoncat overall, we decided at some point to work with OKRs, which yeah. is objectives and key results. So in every single department we have, uh, like in the company overall, we have objectives 
for a quarter or for half a year, sometimes depends. And uh, every department is supposed to write down key results they want to achieve. They have to be measurable, they have to be specific and all that kind of stuff. And then it's also for, for those departments like marketing or even customer care operations. Uh, it makes it easier to see, hey, did you achieve what you wanted to achieve? And the teams are setting their goals themselves. Yeah. Um, they are presenting the goals to the rest of the company and then of course the management and myself we can challenge them a bit we can say look is that maybe too many yeah. uh, key results or do you yeah. think it's ambitious enough and yeah. so on but in the end they set the goals themselves with our approval and then why would they not hit it you know and if they are not hitting it then they, we need to discuss why not what, what yeah. was wrong you know yeah cool definitely um, you said like that a great team for you is really important. So how you make sure that if you grow a company that it stays a good team? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. And I, it took me years and years to, <laughs> to come up with a good plan here. Um, I think I'm still not there. It's constant learning. But uh, what I did learn from the U.S. companies, and uh, like it was a very cool time um, back then because I learned a lot how they are approaching it, and of course they mastered many things over there. Um, and I, I was introduced to one thing, and they called culture check. Mm -hmm. And I introduced it here at Lemoncat. Was the first company that I did it because I realized, okay, I, when I when I started Lemoncat, I was I think 35 or so, and I said. I'm too old for, you know, sitting in a shitty office with people I, I just like so, or I just find okay and I don't totally like. So I, I, I said, it's my fourth company now and I want to have a place where I feel comfortable and where my employees feel comfortable, where we can have a great time together and uh, I don't want to only sit on Ikea tables, you know. Yeah. And um, I also only want to work with people I really like yeah. and people I would really like to go on a vacation with. And that is basically why we introduced the culture check. So what is that? It's basically um, the final interview, which I usually try to do myself if I'm not the hiring manager. So the hiring manager does the whole check on functional things, on do you bring the skills for your job. And then I always try to have the last interview, which is only an interview about how are you as a person? And okay. do you share the same values? Do you share the same vision? Why do you like food why do you like the food market what do you think is a challenge we want to solve here do you you know share the same yeah it's really like sharing the same passion for for um for food and for what we want to achieve here at lemon cat and um i asked myself the question would i really like to hang out with that person would i maybe even like to go on on a vacation or on a weekend trip with that person and that in the end is for me the final check if I think that person fits uh, Lemon Cat. And I think so far the, the team is giving me great feedback that we put together a fantastic bunch of people which really fits together very nicely. Mm -hmm. So there is not this, oh, I hate this department or I don't mm -hmm. like this guy from, you know, from there. Uh, everyone gets along with each other very well. Of course, yeah, well, we are not 5,000 people yet and I yeah. also know that uh, probably at some point this is also... Um, becoming more and more difficult anyway there is big companies like airbnb and uh, that was basically one thing i learned from airbnb do a lot of interviews many eyes on a candidate many uh, checks also from that cultural background and perspective 
um, and at least you decrease significantly the the risk of having people you don't want to work with in the company. Yeah, yeah that's It's always difficult because if you do it as the last point and uh, the, the, the person had, like, took a lot of interviews already and then like you sit there and say, yeah, sorry. But it, it's not that bad. Um, I have actually a couple of very cool examples. So first of all, my team also has an awareness already if we would like the person or not. So I think it's probably... One out of ten, okay. and again, only the ten, the best of the best, make it to my culture check, right? So they did a lot of interviews yeah. before that as well. And I think an important learning is really if you are the hiring manager, and that I think is a big, big threat for most of the startups, yeah, especially nowadays when we have a lot of startups, there's so much war and fight for mm -hmm. talent in Berlin going on. And then the hiring manager says, okay, I do need a uh, marketing manager. And there is no good marketing manager in the market. And then you keep interviewing, interviewing, and you cannot really find a person. And you start becoming desperate, yeah. you know, very desperate. Yeah. And you need to fill this position very desperately. Yeah. And then you tend to accept a candidate, which is not an A player, not a perfect fit. And what happens now is that other people who are maybe A players see that you also hire mediocre people. And then A players don't want to work with okayish people anymore and then it's this this downwards trend of uh, always hiring like less and less fit people you know so that is super important to have this that the culture check is being done by a person who has no say in that in that department but is really having an eagle's eye basically mm. uh, view on on that on that uh, yeah, yeah employee or person who uh, applies for the job so it's made by a person which doesn't have the urgent to yes. to fill this position yeah, yeah, exactly. but like like especially you you're like the head of everything uh, <laughs> do you not have the urgent that you need certain positions and you feel the pressure that you don't have them mm, well if i have the urgency i could not do the catcher check Yeah, that's okay. the thing. So, yeah. so that's why it is important that um, there's really this differentiation between if I am, I, is yeah. that my department where I am the hiring manager, then I cannot yeah. do the culture check. Yeah. Um, or, but if, the, if it's, let's say, um, my, from the product side, my CPO is looking for a product manager and he um, brings that person, the product manager, then into the culture check and I tell him, look, I think it's not the A player we were looking for. And then he's like, yeah, but I cannot find it. Yeah, but it's not the person. Let's, let's continue the search and let's look further. Do you have a special trick how you... Um How you like work with the with the holes, like with the needed positions? Like there's a reason why the position is needed. So do you have a special way to to handle that? That like if a position is so long open, because you need the time to search the right person to find the right person? No, I think I don't know. Do not have the secret sauce here. <laughs> I mean, every startup has a problem, right? But it does not need only because you are you are looking for the perfect person. Doesn't need doesn't mean that you are looking forever and for months and months yeah. and months it just means try harder to find the best person yeah. okay that's that's a good point you said also that like financing is like really key points you or the key learning from you what's your tips on on financing there's so many <laughs> the, the um, best ones 
It really depends. I think that financing rounds and, and, and fundraising and bringing on board investors has so much dependent on what kind of company you are you are running or starting. What is that a seed round or a or a later stage growth or whatever? Um, are you planning to do a VC case? You really want to have a lot of venture capital or you want to basically bootstrap and um, and still be the majority shareholder in the company, you know? Um, so it is very, very hard to only say um, yeah. some random tips. It yeah. really depends on a, on a specific use case, you know, what is good, what is bad. I think it is maybe important for every new founder to read a lot about contracts mm. and really talk to others because there is so many learnings out there, specific learnings, you know, when it comes to valuation of the company, how much um, equity should you give away when you when you bring on board your first investor, you know, is yeah. 10% okay or is it rather 40%? Yeah. So that is something you should really share and try to find brainstorming partners or people who have more experience than you have yourself. That is important that you kind of get a feeling where am I, what do I want to achieve and what did what kind of deals did other people get? Because there is, I think, a big variety from people who did it before yeah. and people who are doing it for the first time. And usually people who did it before have more awareness for make sure that you really keep as much equity as you can for yourself or for your team because you need to be motivated for the next 10 years or yeah. even longer than that yeah. and the more you give away for having a quick million now you will regret later on yeah. i think so it's, it's really talk to others that's important try to find brainstorming partners try to get in touch with people who who did fundraising before and who could give you some tips on the contracts and, and stuff like that so get a feel get a feeling from mentors and other startups how they did it and then Yeah. learn what's for you the right right way exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, if a young person says uh, he or she wants to become a founder what would you tell them do it it's fantastic <laughs> I never regretted it I mean of course there is also very very tough times I mean don't get me wrong you have to get used to you know a good workload And, uh, of course, a lot of stress and pressure as well, because like, there's, especially if there's several million involved, of course, the, the, the pressure level is not really low. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I always enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed being creative. I enjoyed doing my, fulfilling my own visions and, and chasing my dreams and really doing what I, what I enjoyed. Um, and I would always give the recommendation to people who are thinking about founding a company, do it early. Yeah. Do it very early. I Again, I also started it where, even before I started my, my studies. Yeah. And um, I think then you are still at a pretty young age and you got a lot of experience, which is good because the, it's a very, you need a lot of energy to, to run a startup and start a company. And I think if you wait too long and then maybe you have kids and yeah. you have family and you are getting used to a very decent lifestyle, yeah. you know, then it's very hard to yeah. start from zero again. And um, and that's why I would always recommend start super early, as soon as you can. There's never, it's actually not, too, it cannot be too early. Yeah, good, good tip. Would you say it's different for a woman to found a company? I don't know. I mean, I when I started my first company, I never had this gender thing mm. in my mind. 
I think that's also a benefit of starting very early because you don't think you don't have like these stereotypes yeah. in your mind. Yeah. Of course, the 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 more it's now in everywhere in the media and so on. Of course, also with me, it raises an awareness. And of course, I also realize now that there is so few women. But it never disturbed me when I started, and I feel comfortable being in a room with other founders. And it, actually, I don't care if it's female or male founders. Now uh, I wish it would be there will there would be more female founders, but I never had the feeling that I had disadvantages or anything like uh, that from being a female founder. I keep thinking that if the business model is great and if the company is is great, you would always find investor money as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so from that perspective, I never had really bad experiences, but I I can only encourage the ladies out there to to give it a try and uh, don't be scared. That's a really good tip and start as early as possible. Yeah. So you said already that like if you become a founder you need to have be able to handle a big workload. So what is your take on work life balance? These days it's a little bit different for me since I have a little kid at home. My daughter is four and um in total we have three kids. Uh The two older ones are with us for the weekends and so on. So we have, uh, of course, we have to make time for them. Yeah. Um, and we want to spend time with the family as well. So therefore, I, I really try to um, make sure that during the week, I also have a couple of days when I'm home uh, for dinner, for example, yeah. can, can bring my kid to bed. But not every night, unfortunately, not every night possible. So I also try to have some nights in my calendar when I really have an open-end working night or when I can attend a dinner with business partners or stuff like that. So that is, I think, something I could not probably... No, for me, it would not be something to say, like, look, every night I have to be home at six or so. So I try to find a good balance, but uh, it's, it also feels like a, like a good balance. I do not uh, have the feeling that I'm only working or, or something like that. But, uh, of course, when I started my first company, or actually every company before Lemon Cat, I was, um, yeah, there was, were also times when I was working nights and days and nights and days you know it's like pretty intense and um yeah but i also you know i was very young back then and i think i did not have the experience i have today so i also think that i don't need to make all the mistakes again so i have my uh my learnings yeah. and that's why uh, it's probably saves a little bit of time as well yeah that's correct experience is always good do you have like the the issue that like you can't um take off your off you did can't take off your mind from work or is it not an issue that is an issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that is for most of the founders um i know that's the thing so you basically wake up and while brushing your teeth you're thinking yeah. about the company and some ideas or how could i i don't know steer the product further or what kind of marketing initiative could i do and, and when you are uh, almost falling asleep uh, laying in bed then the last thought is uh, with the company as well so i yeah i do have that thing going on <laughs> i don't know if it's a problem or not and actually i enjoy thinking about the company yeah. i enjoy thinking about um, initiatives and how to change it and how to do stuff better because this is what I mean with being creative and with really doing what yeah. I want, you know, like making my vision uh, a reality. 
but yeah, of course, uh, sometimes it's, it's a bit tough as well. Like you need to come down as well and you need to find some space in your head as well. Uh, that's why I uh, started meditating some yeah. years ago and that is actually a pretty cool thing. Um, helped me a lot on having some... Yeah, some moments in my mind when I just say, okay, I wanna, yeah, I wanna just relax and don't think about anything company work related. So, how did you start with meditating? Like, you did a course or read a book? Or? Yeah, I read a couple of books and um, I have some friends who are meditating, and then uh, it was still, I thought it was very challenging to really get. Um, Yeah, start with it and understand it and then I started with an app uh, in the end um, Headspace so I'm a big yeah. fan of Headspace and that app is so fantastic when I hear the voice of Andy of the guy who's speaking the, um, sometimes the guided meditations I'm relaxed right away so um, that works with me very very well and now I don't I don't I could meditate wherever so I only need maybe a minute or two um, I think it is really like if you would play tennis or play any any other sport that you learn the techniques and once you learn the techniques you can do it wherever whenever but it takes a little while and that that help, uh, that app helped me a lot cool mm -hmm. so uh, we already found out that we both like to read so what are your favorite books um, well I don't I don't really think I have favorite books in that yeah. sense because I yeah I, I think I read a lot and also many different things I'm not only a reader of business books sometimes I even think the big business books are you know a bit boring yeah. so I really like whatever novels I like also the the cl German classics and, and all that kind of stuff but since you told me that you would ask me that questions I checked my Kindle and I I, uh, I was checking okay what book I really liked in the um, in the last weeks which I would recommend to you guys and uh, there were two so one is indeed a business book and um, that is called Powerful from Patty McCord and that she was the VP um, HR or Human Resources or from Netflix and she was writing a very very nice books or a book of the early days of Netflix and yeah. how they developed their employees and what kind of attitude they had in the company and that was really cool uh, so I can only recommend that I uh, what I really love about the Kindle is you can take notes and you can mark yeah. sections and then I download that and send it to my team so that they oh. could go uh, through my notes, notes yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and that's really cool and then um A novel I liked a lot, uh, which is uh, the story of um, Edison and how he basically invented the light and how they made a company out of it and how he also got in touch with investment bankers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, it's a novel um, uh, that is uh, from uh, Anthony McCartan. In German, it's Licht. I don't know if uh, light is the English translation, like in, in this book title, Light. But yeah, yeah it's very, cool. that was a very cool book. I enjoyed reading it. That's awesome, yeah. I like books also a lot. So my last question is, uh, if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't change so much, so it's not so much advice I would have given my 20-year-old self. Yeah, I think I would I would tell my 20-year-old self that it's super important if you want to run a company, if you want to start a company, that you really make sure um, 
that you want to do it long term and not only for a year or two. So this whole this whole idea sometimes I, I see in throughout the startup scene that hey let's like we do a startup and then in, in a year we are millionaires or something like that. That this is bullshit. You should really do it because you you want to do it for a very long time. So yeah. I realize as as soon as you do something because you really want to do it. I mean it's this passion thing you keep hearing from everyone, but this is the most important driver. Um, in the end. If you have also tough times or you're, you're yeah. also running through through the hard times with your company, the money has never been the the um, motivating factor for me only. Of course, I love making money and I, I'm happy that I had the chance to make that make my money um, with my companies. But the motivator is still that I always love thinking about the 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 area the industry the product yeah. and all that kind of stuff so it is it's important to think long term long term as i think even more and um think long term um act as if you would like to run that company forever and then make sure that you also make sure that you keep to keep a majority in the company that you have a say in the company that you even though you have to raise a lot of money and you of course have to dilute and you have to give equity to to the VCs and to people who are giving you the money still make sure that you feel like it's your company that's important because otherwise um What I realize is that people are losing interest when they don't feel like they have a say anymore in the company. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, the same play again. If you could go back to your 30-year-old self, what would you tell her? I think the same. The same. <laughs> Just no. as a reminder. No, I mean, it's really not um, such a difference. And again, like I'm a very... Positive. I'm a positive thinker, so yeah. I always see opportunities. I I think for me, really, the glass is always uh, half full, yeah. and um, that's why I I did not regret anything in my life. And everything yeah. happened. Everything like kind of fall in place, and that's why I I never really thought, oh, if I would have knew that, knew that, if would have known that. Um, that's why it's not really something I would. Uh, tell myself in, in certain ages because for me it, I, I was, I'm also in a very lucky uh, position I mean uh, many things worked out very well for me so therefore it's not so much I would, I would change it's always the best answer thank you very much Doreen it was a pleasure thank you very much thanks for having me see you next time guys